Hey guys, before we get started on the episode, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor, Organic Priced Books. Organic Priced Books is a small business dedicated to saving you money on collected editions of the books you love. Whether that be trade paperbacks, hardcovers, absolutes, or omnibus, Organic Priced Books has you covered. They have all the brands that you love, DC, Marvel, IDW, Dynamite, and so many more. To take advantage of this partnership, go to the link in the description of this podcast and use our promo codes. Those are TFRBATPOD to save you $2 off of any order or TFRBATPOD ship it together to save you 5% off of any order of three books or more. When you do this, not only are you supporting a small business and saving yourself money on the books you love, you're also supporting this show as you do so. So go check out Organic Price Books today. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the show. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email. Just shoot those emails to TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Joe Fornerado. Joe, how are you, buddy? How was your Valentine's Day? Oh, it was a lovely Valentine's Day. I'm glad we got to spend it with uh, the most important people in our lives. I got to spend it with you, Andy, and his wife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, um, no, it was nice. I mean, we didn't do anything for Valentine's Day. My wife and I don't do anything for Valentine's Day either. We, uh... We took the kids out for ice cream. That was what we did for Valentine's Day. It was nice. Nice. I like it. Um, well, we didn't do anything either. So ah. my my <laughs> the highlight of my Valentine's Day was also our crossover. And, yeah. and I I hope you guys all enjoyed that. We really uh we really enjoy when we can work together with the Holy Batcast guys. So thank you again to Holy Batcast. Um, but today. We are here to talk a little DC animation. We have a new DC animated film to talk about. I feel like it's it's been a little bit since we've talked a a brand new one, Joe. We've we've done a lot of anniversaries, but I can't what was the last new one we did? Well, we skipped War World. I think the last one we did was Legion of Superheroes, but that we even waited a little bit to do that one, right? Yeah, yeah, that one we were behind on but, that one. Yeah, but that's the last Tomorrowverse one we've done, and this is our second consecutive part one episode. Different version of a part one, you know. Last week oh. we did part one in the title that's for true. the crossover, and this week, uh, yeah, it's another part one. But no, it's um, I think we've covered. Did we only cover? Be did we even cover Beware My Power? I don't remember. No, I don't think so. No, I think. So we did um we Legion did the Bat superheroes. We did 
Long Halloween. Okay. Um, I know we did Legion of Superheroes. Is that the is only that ones it? we've done? Maybe. I don't yeah, think we've the done other Man ones predate the show. Like yeah. Justice, um, the Justice uh, Society one, World War Two, that predates our show. So the other ones obviously do. Um, wow, yeah, that's all we've done. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, well, I mean, this one's a biggie. I mean, it is, um, and without any more preamble, today we're covering the brand new DC animated film, Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths, part one. Um, so it's a it's a huge three part event this year. I, th- I think this is the first time that DC Animation's ever done that with like a huge event all in one year, mm-hmm. and that's th- that's the slate of your animated movies for that year. Um, so I think that's pretty cool, and also uh, bringing an end to the Tomorrowverse, uh, which we're gonna get into into thoughts on that <laughs> as well because I have some thoughts. Um, yeah, this seems like a. It's going to be like almost like a Tomorrowverse recap episode as well with everything that takes place in this part one of a movie. Um, and is Watchmen supposed to be this year? Oh, I think so. That's Maybe. it though, right? It's just Watchmen and then this three-parter? Yes. Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Okay. And we did not know this was a three-parter until... I want to say right before this one was like, we got a trailer. I think they announced it as part one, but we didn't know it was part one of three. Right. And, yeah. And, and it I'm, does say, it does say Watchmen is a 2024 movie, the yeah. animated film. We just haven't heard any information. I'm assuming it comes after these three parts. Well, so see what's weird about that is, so this one, um, part one released in January so we have part two coming in the midsummer, I believe. Sometime it says in the mid year. Yeah, there's yeah. no date for it yet. And then the part three is listed for fall. So yep. maybe they'll squeeze Watchmen in right there at Christmas time or something like that. I'm not yeah, sure. I don't know. Um, I was actually kind of surprised that we have to wait as long as we do for part two. I was hoping it was going to be a lot sooner, but we still don't even have a date yet. So who knows? Oh. And. I got to say, the fact that it's a part one of three and this thing is one of the longer animated films we've got. It's like an hour and 27 minutes. Uh, No, it's an hour and 32 minutes. Yes, but it has like it has like 10 or more minutes of credits. I don't think so. So when I was watching it just a little while ago, um, when the movie ended, there was still and I think I told you this the first time I watched it. There was a there was a big chunk of time left at the end. Maybe it depends what streaming service you watch it on because I feel like I feel like it was only an hour and twenty nine minutes when I was watching it before, so I don't know. Maybe, um, yeah. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. So, Justice League: Crisis on Infinite Earths, Part One. All right, Joe. So 
you and I have talked about the Tomorrowverse quite a bit. Um, I've had some huge problems with this mm-hmm. animated universe, and I, I don't think it's your favorite, but I do think you have... I, I think you've been a little more positive on it than I have been. And that is until we got to War World, which you and I both <laughs> despise. Um, so... I was very curious how this w- how this one was going to work. Um, with three parts, I knew they had plenty of time to tell a story, so I was I was looking forward to that. I didn't think it would be rushed. So going into that, how how were you feeling coming off of War World, knowing we had three parts to get through? What what were you anticipating going into this movie? Well, first off, not to you know throw you under the bus here but i did just check it it is an hour and 30 minutes um before the credits roll it the oh, credits okay. roll at an hour and 31 minutes which i'm amazed by um so i gotta say even though i was dismissive of world dismissive of world world i still think it was just a bad idea to call it war world and release it as one movie I think other people have said this. It's not just me saying this, but like if they released that as three different shorts or maybe marketed it as three shorts instead of trying to push it as World World and then use it as like a, a springboard for Crisis at the very end, it may have worked a lot better. That said, though, other than that film, I've had a lot of fun with most of the Tomorrowverse. Now, saying that, I've been more forgiving of it than most people. Mm-hmm. I don't really love any of the movies. I think most of them are okay to good. Mm-hmm. I haven't disliked any of them. Like, I think the long Halloween is my favorite one. I think that's more because I love the story. I don't yeah. even consider that part of the tomorrow verse. It's really standalone. It's the only one that really has no connection other than the post credit scene to the other films. Um, But I, I will say right off the bat, if we're on this subject, I preferred the new 52 verse or whatever that was called. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, you were definitely bigger on Man of Tomorrow than I was. Mm-hmm. I'm still not crazy about that one. I think it's fine. Um, I'm the weirdo that likes Beware My Power, where nobody else likes that one. I still yeah. like that one. I think just because it's something crazy and different, and I think because it takes from it takes from a lot of stories that I like in the comics, even though it might not have, um, it might not have done that particular movie. Well, like it might not have adapted them into one singular movie as well as it could have. I still just forgave a lot, but all the rest are kind of just like, they're just okay. And I have very little desire to rewatch most of these after Mm -hmm. I do watch them, even though I like them. And with this one being 90 minutes, I got to say, I enjoyed it when I watched it. I really did enjoy it the first time. I had very little desire to rewatch it again, though, knowing it's a part one. And I'm not getting part two for a while. Sure. Um, Because it's not a standalone movie. Like, you, you need to keep going. In my opinion, I don't think this works very well as just a part one, but I will say this movie is getting killed. Like 
I have not seen one person online say they liked this movie. And that I don't understand. I don't see the the huge harsh negativity that people are seeing with this movie because I actually enjoyed a lot of the decisions they made in adapting Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I'll I got a lot to say about what they changed and what they did and but I'll let you talk a little bit before I just, you know, carry on with that. Well, I was going to say that because I'm glad, I'm really glad you're my co-host here because I, I've i read Crisis twice, I think. Yeah, I knew that was going to come up, and I know we're pretty much on the same page with that, and that's why I'm okay with a lot of the changes, I think. I Look, I have all the respect in the world for what, you know, Perez and Wolfman did with Crisis and how pop, you know, how popular it is and how, you know huge in the DC mythology it is. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time getting through that book. Um mm. it's it's complex, you know, it's there's a lot going on and sometimes it's hard to keep track of what's going on. Um, it's a 12 issue story too and each yeah. issue is I think a a longer issue. I don't think it's 20 24 pages. I think they're almost 40 page issues and wordy issues. And listen, I, I think the story itself is great. It's, it's Mm -hmm. the reading. It is a toll (laughs) and it, or it takes a toll on you. And I'm not even saying I don't like the story. I I think it's a fascinating story. What it did for comics is amazing. But when Mm -hmm. we get into spoilers for the film, I really like what they did. And let's be honest, this story has already been adapted in the Arrowverse. Um, I mean, I didn't want a page for page adaptation of that movie. I I mean, of that book, I wanted something different. And I think there are things that this movie does that I don't particularly care for, but there are some things that I really love. And I don't know if you want to get into spoilers yet, or, or if you want to wait, no, we're we're gonna wait because okay. it it, I mean, with these DC animated films, I like to give it. You know, I, I do like to give a spoiler free area before yeah. we get into it because not everybody wa- jumps on these immediately. Mm-hmm. So we will get there. Um, but to and this point, is not on Max yet. I don't think. No, I I don't think so. So the movie, the or Crisis itself, it has been adapted as you said in the Arrowverse. Um, they also had DC animation did crisis on multiple earths or Chris on two earths on two earths. Yeah. Which is actually a take on another story though. Like it's, it is, but yeah, that story, you know, was it incorporated stuff from this was, was spun off from crisis itself. So it's, it's area that's been, touched before by DC quite a few times. Um, and, and we're in the middle of this multiverse era with comic book movies anyway. Well, um, it, it, yeah, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like I'm exhausted of crisis on infinite earth. And then I think about it. It's like, well, it hasn't really been adapted that much, but it's just because we're in this era where, like you said, there's multi- so much multiverse stuff that it's just exhausting in general. Um, sadly, because the multiverse is such a fun concept that it's, it's very just, fun. Un- yeah, it's just, it's been a lot the last few years. But the thing is for me, and I know we're on a tangent here, but I really feel like there's only one property 
And that's coming from from me, who's not a huge fan of Marvel um, or the the recent run of Marvel. I do I do like Marvel. Um, Spider Man No Way Home, I think, has done the multiverse the best. And I think it is the most successful project with multiverse and everything else is honestly getting a little nerve wracking to have so much of it all the time. Multiverse, mm-hmm. multiverse, multiverse. Um, I mean, the flash, the flash did multiverse very well as well, but it was, it was a little less than, you know, that than maybe what no way home did. It wasn't as well, involved in the multiverse. And here might be a hot take. And I love the flash movie. My least <laughs> favorite part of the flash is the um what the heck is the something bowl the uh Chronobol? the chronobowl because i i don't need that in that movie i feel like it was it was just extra stuff that has really no context in the film mm-hmm. and i like the michael keaton part of the multiverse and mm-hmm. the supergirl like that part of the multiverse i really loved but the chronobowl to me and i'm not even talking about the effects and all that crap that doesn't mean anything to me it's more the like okay, we're in a Flash movie and we're showing all different versions of Superman and a different version of Batman. To me, I didn't need any of that. That that to me was just there so they could do some fun stuff and I'm fine with that, but it did feel a little unnecessary to me in that part or they could have done something differently that made it more um, not related, like more uh, relevant to the movie itself. Where sure. your Spider-Man No Way Home, I love that movie. And that is, to me, the best example of multiverse right now that we have. But I, to get back on track with this movie, and I think most of the multiverse stuff might be coming in part two without spoiling yeah. anything. I love the seeds they're planting and the major spoiler stuff that's going to come out of talking about part one and what we're suspecting they're doing I love what they're doing with it in part one. Yep. Well, having said that, let's let's get off our tangent and actually actually talk about the movie we're here to talk about because <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are like Jesus. Um, but anyway, it's hard. Crisis, <laughs> it is Crisis on Infinite Earths Part One, directed by Jeff Wamister, but on a screenplay by James Krieg. Uh, story credit, of course, to George Perez and Marv Wolfman because it is based on Crisis on Infinite Earths. By those two gentlemen. Uh, it was released on January 9th, 2024, and we have all the returning voice cast from the Tomorrowverse. Darren Chris as Superman, Jensen Ackles, Batman, Matt Bomer, Barry Allen, and on and on. Um, so, Joe, having said everything that we've already said, you've seen the film twice, I believe, mm-hmm. as I have, uh, without spoiling anything overall thoughts what did you think of crisis part one i liked it i didn't quite love it but i also Mm. think it's hard to love something that's a part one without knowing where part two is going and this is not a you know again tangent aside it's not a across the spider-verse to me where i'm getting a full story and it ends on a cliffhanger or uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, like where we've had all these like cliffhanger endings of these movies. They felt like complete movies. To me, this this feels like a true part one where, yes, there is kind of a conclusion at the end of this, but it's it's all planting seeds for what's to come to me. I don't find this. I can't 
truly judge this film until I see where it's going in part two and three. And again, it's a part one of three. It's not just a part one of two. Um, It's very similar to me, like the long Halloween, like part one is not a complete story of the long Halloween. You're getting the whole movie Uh, you or you need part two to get the whole story. Um, Sure. But that aside, like I, the things that I didn't like about it, I want to see where they're going before I judge why it was done or some of the things where I'm like, okay, you're really taking your time here and you're doing things that I might not be crazy about. And I mean, I don't know. Is it a spoiler to talk about Amazo? No, I don't think so. He's, he's in the trailers. I'll be honest with you. As much as you might be multiversed out, I'm amazed out. <laughs> I I don't know why that is, but I feel like Amazo is like the go-to easy villain if you want the Justice League to fail or to have trouble. And mm. I just don't care about Amazo anymore. And it, and I don't know. Like it's not like we've gotten a ton of them. I just whenever I see him, I'm like, ah, oh, here's Amazo again. Like, how are we gonna fight Amazo because he can do everything we can do? And I don't know. I just feel like it's very uninteresting at this point to see Amazo. Now the things they decided to do with Amazo, I get. It was mm-hmm. just I felt like I wanted to get away from Amazo more than I wanted to care about Amazo. Um, sure. And I don't want to get too much into it until we get over the spoiler wall. But that aside, like that might be like one of my biggest nitpicks in the movie is that whole side story with that. Um, but the Flash stuff is really good. I mean, it's an interesting story. And I, it's, a, it's kind of a, a catch-22. I appreciate how much they're taking their time with this story. But I also think it maybe didn't need to take so much time in this story because it is a little longer. I have a theory on that. Yeah, I want to know where it's going. And that's the hard part is because they they definitely, I mean, like I said, an hour and 30 minutes for a part one of three when usually these are at the most an hour and 20. They've been Um, getting longer. They have been. I think the longest we've got is like an hour and 25, you know, but again, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's nitpicking and it's, you know, uh, semantics at that point to complain about like an extra five, 10 minutes, but it's hard. It really is hard to talk about it. One without spoilers and two, without knowing all the time they were taking in between stuff that might not have seemed important. We don't know where they're going with it. And I think that stuff might come back and be very important. So my theory is they knew this tomorrow verse was coming to an end as we now know. Oh, I know you're gone. Yeah. They had, they, we put out on average, they put out four DC animated films a year. Mm -hmm. I feel like they said, we're ending this thing. You got three slots this year. Go nuts. Yeah. Tell your story. Don't, you know, don't make any new uh, branches of the universe or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Wrap, wrap up your story, take your time, go nuts. And I think they gave them, you know, they had, they wanted to do Watchmen. They gave them the rest of the, of the animated slate for the year and just said do it so i thought you were gonna say and i'm wondering if this is the case what if they had plans for like movies in between and they're like all right let's sprinkle what we were gonna do in that movie into this movie i mean that could be but i don't think that's the case either i don't know like and i feel like your complaints with the whole timeline it was like they tried to like fix that with this movie which I enjoyed. <laughs> I So it was so funny to me because when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, okay, Eric is going to either love this or hate this. He's either going to be thankful that they're correcting a problem or he's going to be like, this is stupid. This should have been a movie. Like, or this should have been dealt with beforehand. Like, and it's still a little muddy. Um, 
or a little so muddled. Like you don't know exactly what they were thinking. Like kind of a quasi spoiler, but there's like Batman already knows Superman when Green Arrow and Flash knock on his door at yeah, the end of Long Halloween. Don't yeah. So don't don't go into too many uh, specifics. Yeah, that, but that's it's you know. I, I wasn't so, going to go into the other specifics of, of some of the other characters, but that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, was that the plan or are you just trying to make it make sense now because we have to jump the crisis? Yes. So what you, the, those two reactions that you thought I would have, it's not either or it's both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it works for this movie, but it's so, like, <laughs> it made me happy because throughout this universe, because I thought the Tomorrowverse started really strong. I thought they started with a lot of promise and I was excited to see where it was going to go. And then all of a sudden it's just like, wham, we went in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. We we had started origin stories. Now the justice leagues formed The stories are all over the place. These people have known these people what's going on. I have a better question. Do you think, do you think they knew this was ending earlier than we think they did? And that's why they jumped to like Legion of superheroes. I don't know. I have no idea. It's it's a good question, but I don't know. Because the That's thing a is, other question when we see when we get into why Legion of Superheroes, I think there's there's obviously a reason for that movie. Yeah, well, I think I, I it's it's so hard to say because by the time that Gunn and Saffron came in and announced that you know that DC Animation was going to be going in a different direction, that they were already they were already quite a few movies in. Oh yeah, I mean Justice Society was out what three years ago and as we know kevin conroy did the voice for part two he's been with i mean he's been gone from us for a long time so it shows you how so apparently he's gonna be in part three. Oh, okay but even so yeah. that doesn't come out to the end of the year and he's already recorded that mm-hmm. so and he had to have recorded that what two years ago no they said he did it last year when did he pass or, away or excuse me they he did it just before his passing. So when did okay. he, was it almost two years ago now? Was it, has yeah. it been that long? So I thought yeah, he passed so away in 2022. Maybe. Yeah. So he had recorded it before he passed. So like, just when you think about how long it takes for these films to actually be released after the voice actors even record and the voice acting is one of the last things, isn't it? I mean, um, but yeah, he passed away in November of 22, 22. Yeah. So, so yeah, he had, he had recorded for part three in 2022 before he passed. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. So yeah, they had to have been, well, you're right. They had to have been well into this, but yeah, I, it's hard to figure out where this universe was going prior to yeah. being wrapped up pretty early on. Yeah. So while, um, and again, we keep going on tangents on talking about everything but this one movie. But it's <laughs> yeah. it's hard because it is a recap of the whole universe. It is. And there were things. So there were a lot of things when I was watching this movie that I really was happy that they answered for me. Mm-hmm. It questions where I was like, what? As I'm watching this universe, like, how did this happen? Why are we doing these time jumps? So there was a lot of things sprinkled in. I think that they knew that was an issue. So mm-hmm. while they had the chance, they were like, well, this, this, and this. Yeah. And I appreciated that. And it made me happy. But the reason I said both mm-hmm. reactions is at the same time, I was like, well, you dumbasses, you should have made a movie of that. Yeah. By, uh, four years ago. Um, but at the, just based on this movie alone, 
this was for me, this was a breath of fresh air after War World. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and going back to Beware My Power, you know, it, because it was like back to back Beware My Power, War World, bam, bam. And I didn't care for either of those movies. I know you, you like Beware My Power. Um, Legion, Legion was prior to Beware My Power? Maybe. I just think we watched it out of order. I can't remember, honestly. Okay. Um, yeah, you know what? It's possible you didn't watch Legion until recently. I, I think, yeah, I think that's the case. But anyway, um, so for this one, just, just based on its own merits, I'm in about the same boat as you. I, I really liked this one. Didn't quite love it, but I'm holding out complete, you know, complete judgment until I can watch all three parts as one whole story. Yeah. And that's why, and I, I didn't even tell you this, but that's why I, we're not doing Batarang ratings on this one. Oh, okay, good. Cause I didn't know where to do that. <laughs> I assumed so, we were going to do it. And I, it was hard for me to even try to figure that out because this is so much. I mean, it's, it is mandatory that you watch all three, at least after f- finishing this one to get a full idea of the story. So I don't want to, I really don't want to give a rating of this until we have the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I almost I do, didn't want to cover this at all until we had the full story. Cause it's, but it's become kind of a, a retrospective of the tomorrow verse that might be fun to talk about in three different sittings and try to figure out where we land. Exactly. And after war world, I was so happy. I had a positive experience that I <laughs> didn't want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I, I, same things that are huge positives for the rest of the tomorrow verse voice acting is great. Um, I feel like Jensen Ackles mastered his Batman voice mm-hmm. in this film. I thought he did really well. Um, it seems like he's of, almost doing a different take on it too, other than long Halloween. Like he might've been trying something different. In, I think so. In each movie, you know, like purposely. Yeah. Um, Darren, Chris is great. Superman, Matt Bomer, I think voice talent wise you know outside of rosenbaum might be my favorite animated flash at this point so mm-hmm. far as voice um i think it had good action for an animated film and the story made sense so it it was a good yeah you know, there was there was a few parts where i had to get used to the jumping back and forth in time to try, mm-hmm. try to get a grip on where i was and what was going on i do think they did some retcons in this like you said with the whole superman thing yeah but overall i got a lot of enjoyment out of this and that Mm. was great for a tomorrow first movie (laughs) and it's it's again like we're we're in the minority here i i i've seen a lot of hate spewed at this movie saying it's one of the worst people couldn't even get through it and i'm not seeing that i don't unless it's people that are holding Listen, I, again, I, I like Crisis on Infinite Earths. I really do. I have the book. I have the hardcover. I've read it multiple times. I'm just open to changes to things like that. And, and they do take a lot of liberties. This is a loose adaptation. Um, I think it honors it well enough, though. And it's entertaining. Like, I'm not going to judge the movie based on the changes that are made. And maybe it's hypocritical of me because you could argue the changes in this are more drastic than like hush. <laughs> I mean, there, there's an argument to be made for that, but it's all depends on your love of the characters that they're changing or, 
any type of connection you have to those characters, but I feel like in this film, it works better for me. But again, it's hard without the spoilers, but I, I do think, I do think it, it could go either way for anyone to watch this. Like you, uh, it seems like you could either hate this movie or you could be willing to go with it and see where it goes and, and kind of be along for the ride and have fun with it. Because I do think from what we're getting in part two and three, possibly it might be a really fun ride with their own version of crisis on infinite earths, like the animated mm -hmm. universe crisis on infinite earths. I mean, hopefully that's not too much of a spoiler. I mean, I know the trailers are out there or the rumors are out there. We've already heard Kevin Conroe might be coming back or is coming back, whatever you have you. Um, it's, we don't know what we're getting officially, but there's a lot of promise to what they're going to do in parts two and three that I'm really excited for. And that aside, which we didn't really get a lot of that in part one, I still had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, you know, you were saying it was getting, it was not getting good reception. So in the complete inverse of most DC films, so it's critically, it's been very well received. Um, so, I mean, like IGN, Screen Rant, several mm -hmm. outlets have given it really good reviews. It seems it's like the audience, it's the audience that's not crazy about it, which is, it seems so, like the comic fans are the ones that are not liking it. Yeah. And maybe it's just people are fed up with the Tomorrowverse. Like maybe they weren't. Uh, that, they weren't invested I think that's enough. a big part of it. War World might have really soured some people, um, mm -hmm. which is possible. And I get it. But yeah, let's. Uh, let's. Let's go. Uh, maybe get over the wall and get into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't seen uh, part one of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Make sure you go watch it and then come back because uh, we are going to get into some spoilers here. Um, so this is your final warning. Go check out the film and then come back to the episode. Um, but Joe, let's let's talk about it. So I think the biggest part of this story that I love is how Flash and Iris centric this is. One hundred percent. Yes. Straight through the movie, the focal point with everything going going on. You know the the antimatter wall that's that's sweeping across and destroying worlds. There's all these different earths that we're hopping around to. Um, I love that this is for all intents and purposes, this is a flash movie. Yeah. It feels almost like a flashpoint. Like they, they mark it as a justice league movie when mm -hmm. it's a flash movie. And I love when flash gets the forefront. It seems like they're scared to make a flash movie because we have not gotten a flash movie. But we've gotten film, Flash yeah. movies titled as Justice League movies. Mm -hmm. Like Flashpoint was titled Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, not the Flash Flashpoint or Flashpoint. Um, same thing with this. This, I mean, granted, it is Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths, but this Flash is the main character in this film. And it's hard for me to talk about this right off the bat. I wanted to go right into the fact that they're totally setting up the fact that the Justice League Dark. Um, oh, crap. What the hell was the name of the movie? Um, Apocalypse the finale. War. Apocalypse War. That caused this. You're getting that, right? That's not me imagining this. Okay. Yeah, because you've because you've got uh, you've got Constantine, who is the he's the guide. He's guiding and, Flash through this through this world or through this and, crisis. And maybe it's blasphemy. I love the fact that Constantine is pariah. Is that who it is, right? Basically, yeah. 
He's per- is that the character's name though in the book, Pariah? I I think so. I'm probably and people are you've read like, Crisis more than well, I have. That's the irony of it is I'm going to say you know I love the book I love the book and then people are going to be like well you can't even get the damn character's name right so how much could you really love the book? Um, yes, because Supergirl is Harbinger, which again those are the two changes that I'm sure people hated. But I think it works so well because I think that's one of my nitpicks of Crisis on Infinite Earths is our main character. Pariah is introduced in the movie or in the book. And we don't know anything about this character. He's just, I have to, you know, I've been punished and I have to do all this stuff and I have to see, be punished for my sins. And I have to see every world die. That's my punishment. I love the fact that it's Constantine in this Mm. and he's being punished for what happened at the end of apocalypse war. That's, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm surprised that it wasn't like confirmed throughout this movie. It was still just only hinted at throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it's something they're definitely going to expand on, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. I, as soon as I knew that was Constantine, I honestly didn't put it together with the whole apocalypse war thing. I just figured, Hey, they were using Constantine. I didn't put it together until you just said it a few minutes ago. Oh, really? So yeah, I, I picked up on that really early and he even says to Flash, you're a part of this too. Mm. You play or you played a part in a big part in this. And then he says something about like the, the speed force still has their reins on you and they'll let you say your goodbyes before they take you, that kind of thing. So that's where I'm like, Oh, like the end of apocalypse war. So that was the specter. Yes. At Um, the end specter said that. That is where I'm getting the the Apocalypse War tie-ins is because Constantine is the one that tells Flash, you got to change this. Mm-hmm. And it created the Tomorrowverse. And now here we are. And now that's where we're going to get this whole, you know, Infinite Earths saga with different animated universes. And the the rumors of like, we're going to get like the, the 90s animated universe with the Justice League and conroy's batman and we might even get a batman beyond cameo or something i think you said he was in a trailer i didn't see the trailer with him in it yeah so a picture or something he popped up yeah and i can't remember where it was but he he did pop up in a in a trailer or a still something like that but yeah. i i would not be surprised at this point because i i feel like with the length of the movie and the, the fact that it's three parts yeah. i think they're going to go crazy with these yeah. with this part two and three which hey at this point go for it exactly i'm loving the seeds they're planting and yeah because i do have such an affinity for the new 52 animated universe um and i i love apocalypse war i think that's a great end to that universe yeah and it did start this i love that there's going to be repercussions for that and i think that's really fun to tell this story because of that a way to tie the two universes in together um and it's it's a way to get Constantine and Flash to be the main characters here, and and there's a lot of fun mm. that can come out of that. And yeah, like you, you said, you know, Supergirl being Harbinger in this, that's the one that might be a little iffy for me. But again, <laughs> I don't care about Harbinger as a character, and I'm sorry. Again, comics blasphemy, but I don't care about Harbinger as a character. But I care about Supergirl because I know Supergirl, and. <laughs> I can relate to that character because we saw her in a movie and we, you know, we well, and that's what I was going to say is 
that's what I was going to say as well, because with a, with a universe with a lot of blunders so far, I think it was smart to use a character already established to put mm-hmm. her in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, because we did have, we, we had the Legion movie. So we've yeah. got an association with that character. So a user. Um, so I, I thought it was an appropriate use, but going back to, to what I was saying, I think outside of all the, the multiversal shenanigans and trying to stop the, the antimatter wall, the fact that we kept checking in with Barry and Iris and you're I'm basically sorry I branched off from that for a minute. No, no, that's, that's okay. Um, and one of the things I loved about this is because Flash didn't get his own movie in this mm-hmm. in this universe. So you you go back and even though it's you know it's it's Constantine dropping Flash into different points in his life. I love that because we get to we get to know this Flash more in this universe and we get to see him with Iris and I love yeah. their relationship in this movie. Okay, so that's, get, wait, I have a question for you then. So okay. that's what's happening when he's jumping from time to time is Constantine's doing that? Yeah. I didn't catch that. That's what was really hard for me is when they were t- jump and when he's jumping from time to time, I couldn't figure out what was making him do that or why he was doing that. I didn't realize Constantine is doing that to ch- guide him, which makes a lot more sense now. He's doing yeah. that to guide him to figure out how to stop this. Is that what's going on? Yes. And, and so that's um, that's kind of they lay it out uh, in the crime syndicate. Uh, was that Earth three? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, when he stops the crime syndicate from killing Flash and pulls mm-hmm. him in, into another point or in, okay. in, into his universe in another part of time um so yeah he's he's the guide for flash in the film and is pulling him out of these areas um but i i I thought it was great to see of course you know barry and iris's first date and then them progressing through and getting married and everything that's going on around it but we keep going back to barry and iris even with the with the end game at the end an older version of Barry and Iris uh, end up stopping the antimatter wall um, with the tower they built with a Mesa. And even though we had just kind of been introduced to her and we, we only knew this older version of Iris for a few moments, it was impactful when she passed away at the end of the movie. The thud when she hits the floor Mm -hmm. is like devastating. And you know, to see the look on his face when he turns around and sees her on the ground. I mean, yeah, like maybe it's the voice acting or maybe it's just the emotion of the animation, but it works. It really did. And I guess like I say all the time, maybe I'm an easy lay because of the information, you know, the, the emotional stuff and I forgive a lot, but if you're giving me emotion and you're getting me with an emotional connection, I can't say your movie's bad. No, <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I will forgive things. I'm not going to say it's the best movie ever just because of that, but I'll forgive a lot if I get emotion. Kind of like how I say a lot where like sometimes people forgive a lot if they're they're laughing or they're having a good time. I'm more on the emotional side where if you can get mm-hmm. me somehow emotionally, that means you've struck a chord with me and and I'm invested. You're you're doing something right. And I think that's harder than just going for the easy laugh or or any of that kind of stuff. I I embrace that more. Well, very similarly, there's that moment um, with Batman where he's because in this movie is where he discovers Robin and, you know, he discovers he has a daughter 
and Helena Wayne in on another, you know, in another universe. Yeah, that was surprising to see that. And that's a good honor of the original book, because that's a big part in the book is the Robin from Yeah. I guess it's Earth Two in the book or Earth it might even be Earth One in the book. I don't remember. Um But the, the moments Earths get really muddled. Yeah, but the moment where Batman thinks they're all going to die mm-hmm. and he has that kind of emotional farewell with them, even though he just he just met them. Um, I thought that was a good moment. But that's the moment where Jensen Ankles sounds very different than he does in the long Halloween to me. Yeah, yeah, which I intentionally so I think because he's dropping mm-hmm. his guard Absolutely. a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Um but there's the moments there's just tiny moments in here that I love. There's the moment of introducing Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a he's a kid who who Bruce has taken in because of the the death at the circus. And I love that Barry Allen in this universe is the one that convinces him, you know, you should, you, you should, should take keep, him in. You should keep him or you should take him in. Um, and then he, I think that's even further, which I think they're going to go into in the next two movies. I think that's even further cemented with this relationship that he builds very briefly with Robin and Huntress on at the monitor satellite. Yeah, what if that's um, a paradox where like he's debating it and then somehow now he takes Robin in because he knows he does take Robin in kind of thing? Was that possible? No Could be. That's where the yeah. time stuff really messes with me. But also, yeah. I love that you know, just stupid stuff, Barry. Oh, go play with Wally. He's down in the basement playing video games. Like, go go introduce mm-hmm. yourself to Wally, and you know, like that's how Dick and Wally meet. And this, hu- yeah. and they have like a huge friendship going forward with the Teen Titans and all that. Like that's that stuff is really great. Um, I do only think the upsetting timeline, that we'll never see it. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we're gonna get some stuff in the second one, you know. Yeah, um, true. That's the one that where the timeline is iffy for me though. Is does he meet? I'm I've never been crazy about Batman meeting the Justice League prior to meeting Robin. I feel like that's weird. Okay. I don't know why. I've always pictured him being a loner completely until Robin and then meeting the Justice League after. But I also, don't think I've ever thought about it. That's always the reason. I actually like the BVS timeline of like he doesn't meet superhero beings for a long time after he's been in Gotham. Um, mm. For whatever reason, that's just always the way I've thought of it. But also, so he... He knows about. I'm trying to think now how this threw me off in the movie. So when Robin introduced himself to Bruce Mm -hmm. at the uh, the tower, wherever they are, you know, the where the The monitor gathers them all. He knows about Dick Grayson and Tony Zuko. Mm -hmm. He's already taken Robin in at that point. He's yes. just not Robin yet, correct? Right, because that's that's the version of Batman that that has just taken in Dick Grayson that we see okay. in the film. So that means that between the long Halloween and this movie, he's taken in Robin. I mean, he's taken in Dick Grayson. Again, another thing that's happened off screen. Right, yes, but... Um, in the film, because they set it up, because they do a lot of course correcting in this movie with the little moments that we've missed. Mm-hmm. Um, they set it up that 
all this is happening right after the long Halloween because it, yes. it picks up after the post credit scene. So, yeah. So that means that. So does that mean that he met Robin before the post credit scene? No. So he's already he 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 apparently he met you know the who would become the Justice League. They weren't the Justice League yet because that happens in the film. They become the Justice League. That's where the it jumps around on time a lot, and it's confusing because I'm like, okay, so he knows Superman already somehow, even though we've never seen them meet before, right? And that's when they bring Superman to the Batcave. Or to Wayne Manor. He already knows that uh, Barry is the Flash and he knows that, you know, Oliver is Green Arrow. And yeah, that's that's where I got confused as the timeline as to when when does he meet Dick, Dick Grayson then? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I guess it's I guess it's soon after because we haven't we have established a relationship with with at least Bruce and Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere in there he he met Dick Grayson cuz we get that point in time in the movie but i going into the actual batman story it has bugged me since the post credit scene in long halloween cuz i love that post credit scene why did we jump ahead to a fully formed justice yeah. league where where was this story in between and i love that they went back to that yeah. cuz they go right back to that same moment with mm-hmm. the door opening, Alfred answering, and then we come to find out that's the story we're in now because they've brought Superman with them, and that's where it picks up from the post credit scene. Because that's the first time they meet Amazo. Yes, after that. And then they meet Amazo again for a second meeting with Lex Luthor and all that kind of stuff. That's the when second. The, at the press conference where they form the Justice League. Yes. Yes. So sometime between those two meetings is when he brings into Grayson, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. That's that's the way I took it. But that is one of my nitpicks of the movie. It's a little hard to follow the time jumps. Because mm-hmm. you, and you I, really I spent way more way too much time trying to figure it out. It's not really that important, but it's just it's interesting. I like trying to figure that stuff out and I'm not good at following it for the most part. Um yeah. but anyway, that's not the basis of the movie it's just something fun that i knew watching it that i'm like okay eric is either gonna hate this or love this because this was his <laughs> biggest criticism of the whole universe and i love that it's like kind of both like yeah I'm, I'm happy that we got some of those things filled in but i wish we would have gotten you know more of it so uh what is your take on amazo so i'm glad you because that that was the next thing i want to talk about so i get what you're saying because i'm a i'm a little amazed out as well however I like the spin that they put on Amazo here because he just wasn't yes. a mindless, you know, take over your powers and defeat the Justice League. Um, at, I don't know if you can really use this phrase for an android, but at heart, he mm. wanted to do good because, you know, Professor Ivo had created him to do good and Lex Luthor had, of course, corrupted yes. him. But I love that the whole time he doesn't want to do it. He's fighting mm-hmm. the programming that Lex has put into him from from draining all of these these superheroes um, of their powers on the pretense that it's going to help other people. But in actuality, it's all for Lex, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as as tired as the Amazo thing is, I was kind of glad to see a fresh spin on Amazo. And I really liked that on this alternate earth, Amazo is a key part in helping this older Barry Allen save the multiverse. Mm-hmm. 
for now because we know this is in yeah. the end. Um, no, I, I, I agree with that. I like all the additions to Amazo more than the Amazo weapon that we've come to know in the comics. I, I like the fact that, you know, he's there at the end with Barry and mm-hmm. trying to, you know, help Barry solve the problem and save the world. And I like all that stuff. And the way Professor Ivo basically tricks him to make sure he understands this is what your programming actually is. Don't believe Luther. Um, I, I love that part. Like that's the heart of the, you know, of the story. It's the Amazo stuff in maybe the first meeting that I'm like, ah, I got it. really didn't need that, but I get what they yeah. were using it. To, they wanted to, they wanted to find a way to bring the justice league together and also tell a story about basically an AI or, uh, you know, an Android that has to help them solve this problem. And, and so I, I get the usefulness or the, efficiency of doing that with this character mm-hmm. but i yeah i couldn't help but just get a little annoyed with the amazo name i guess more than anything but this is this sure. is the, a, definitely a very different interpretation of amazo yeah and the fact that you have you know professor ivo sacrificing himself there is mm-hmm. a pretty impactful yeah. moment too absolutely especially when you know amazo basically shuts down after it because mm-hmm. of his sacrifice so yeah, it, yeah it's a pretty cool moment um, I will say, I think I expected more surprise appearances in this one. You don't get much. Like, I mean, you get a, you get another Earth's Superman. You get a couple of different versions of Barry. Um, and then some scattered, you know, heroes here and there, but you don't get a lot of real, like, wow look who showed up moments i don't think and that's a good point yeah i I will say one of my other big nitpicks is can you make this two supermen look a little bit different um (laughs) they looked really similar like the belt buckle was different um and they're both there in chris yeah like they they could have put the gray hair on the one like in the book like that wouldn't have been too hard just to make them look a little different um now i'm assuming is that the superman from justice society World War II. That's how I took it. I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I'm pretty sure there was a Superman that was just a reporter at the time. And I want to say he was close with Wonder Woman. I think that's who that was. That's one that I really have been meaning to rewatch again. That's one that I liked a lot of that movie. And then it gets to the point with the Aquaman stuff that I got annoyed. And that's where I kind of lost it lost me a little bit. Like there was always something about these movies that kind of was like, ah, oh, like I wish they did that differently or what, but that, I remember liking that movie a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that one as well. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm just looking here. It says he's Superman of earth two, um, which looks like it's more war time, world war two, um, golden age. Okay. So, so that's, yeah, that's probably where they're going there. Is it? Oh, the, so is that, so the Robin and the Helena Wayne that are from that same earth? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of cool. Then if that's the case, that makes sense. It's the golden age stuff. Yeah. Um, which and that's, they didn't. that's the only reason I could come up with why we were supposed to know that he had a relationship with wonder woman. It seemed. And that's where I took that is I'm pretty sure he had a relationship with Wonder Woman in that movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, 
but either way, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was fun seeing another Superman. I, I really did like seeing the older Flash, Barry Allen, with his with his baggy Flash costume, um, especially him being so impactful. And then, I mean, you do see you do see other characters, but they're mostly, I would say, secondary um, DC characters on the satellite. Like I said, I mean, you see the question. You yeah, see, he gets a big role. That was the one I was thinking of. You you see people amazing like man that. or Mister Amazing. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I was lost on that one. Um, but yeah, so it definitely feels like they're pulling they're they're holding the big guns for mm-hmm. the for part two and three. I feel the like the book is like this though. The book does this in like the first two issues. Like there's a lot of characters that I had no idea who they were when I was reading the book. So it's kind of that way where they're gonna start focusing on the core characters going forward, hopefully. Well, and with you mentioning the thing about Constantine from the new 52 universe, it makes me wonder, are we, are we going to get, are we going to get some characters from that universe? It'd be cool up? to get like Jason O'Mara. Yeah. Cameos. I always wonder how they're going to do the animation that way. It's really tricky to do different. Like, I mean, we're not getting a spider Verse budget here. You know what I mean? Like, so how no. do you, how do you do that? Do you just, do their costumes but in this style i think they'll get as close as they can without yeah you know stretching and i'm fine out. with that like I'm, I'm not even criticizing it i'm just ho- excited to see how they do it and if they do it because i think that would be a lot of fun it's kind of like um every time i talk about this stuff though it is kind of spoilery but it's been a while so if you haven't seen it whatever it's the what was it the oh, crap what was the movie was it teen titans go versus teen titans i think so yeah where the new 52 universe Teen Titans show up mm-hmm. like that. I like that's fun stuff when they do stuff like that. Um, so that's what I'm hoping is to see like all that stuff. I'm like, are we going to get like, you know, the, the Bruce Timverse character show up? I mean, what else would Kevin Conroy be voicing? Like, uh, I would assume that's the, that's the plan. I think so. I think so. I think it's the Timverse, but that I do question the same thing. Like, you have the the Timverse, you have the New 52 universe, but where else can you pull from? Mm-hmm. I wonder if they would be ballsy enough to have like an animated Batman 89 show up or what they could do there. So here's my opinion on that. I personally don't like when the animated universes bring in the live action characters. I prefer the animated world to be separate than the live action world. Now, again, hard to say that when like we're getting creature commandos, which is leading into the same universe. I feel like it's okay when it's the same universe and you're just telling a side story because we're not talking about a multiverse thing, but like when we're talking about multiverse, I don't know. I just feel like I don't want to know that the Bruce Tim verse takes place in the same multiverse as Batman 89. Like as weird as that is, like, I feel like they're too separate. Like, no, like give me an animated multiverse, go balls to the wall with the animated stuff. I, I don't need to see like now I'll say that, but it's like, (laughs) I don't want to see Batman 66 in this, but we do have animated Batman films take place with that oh, 66 boy. stuff. Like, do you want to bring you're them in there? Like, it's so weird. You're splitting you hairs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and 
Um, listen, I'll go with whatever they do because I, I think whenever you're doing the multiverse stuff, have fun with it, do whatever you want to do, just make it work and make it fun. And, and I'm good, but like, yeah, you cannot like, sit here and tell me that it would not be awesome if they had the George Clooney Batman show up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I was just thinking is like brave and the bold or, oh yeah. What if you go all the way back to super friends and those guys show up? Like you could, you could do all sorts of crazy stuff with that. I, I will say though, um, since you nitpicked the Amazo part, I felt it was completely pointless to have the crime syndicate. Like that was my biggest section was, but why? It took up a lot of time. But I will say, how cold was it when that guy saves the building just to throw it over to the other side, just because he was <laughs> saving the statue. That yeah. was probably one of the most vicious villain, subtle villain things I've ever seen in one of these movies where he saves the building and the people are like, oh my God, he's saving us just to throw it back over to the other side and destroy the building and kill all those people all because he didn't want the building falling on their statue. Well, first of all, they were, they were all idiots because <laughs> they, they just fly towards the, the antimatter wall because they're <laughs> big and bad and they can, yes. And the dumbest line I have heard in an animated film in quite some time is supposed to be the equivalent of Batman. We've got Owlman here uh -huh. and he's all these other crime syndicate people are flying towards the source wall and Flash looks at Owlman and says, you're the strategist. This is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I can't remember. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Um, but Owlman was like, well, sometimes the most illogical and you know things that don't make sense that's what you need to do i'm like that is stupid that is not something the equivalent of, of batman would say that is dumb well, but i mean i'll i'll go a step further i've never been a fan of the crime syndicate as villains to begin with i feel like it's easy like it was fine once in a while but like i never liked them as like a main plot point yeah i think it's fun back in the day probably when they first started doing it but at this sure. point again it's like I, I think that's more played out than amazo um not one of my favorite storylines whenever they show up in the comics that's for sure so yeah however I mean, voice cast wise deep pull for Owlman. do you know who he is no i didn't pay attention to it i might have seen it but i don't remember blue diamond phillips that name sounds like i know that name but i couldn't tell you who he is so Lou Diamond Phillips was huge in like the, the 80s and 90s. I want to say as a wrestler. Like that's what it no. sounds like, but no. No, <laughs> that's a look total him up. wrestler know, name though. <laughs> yeah, look him up. You'll know who he is when you see him. But he was also the Spectre in this. Um oh, but okay. yeah, I just thought it was fascinating that they pulled oh, Lou Diamond Phillips yes, out. Of, I definitely know him. Yeah. Um so yeah, just, I just thought that that whole section, I thought it took up a little bit too much time. And at the end, it was pointless because it was like there was no changing their minds or turning them around. So at the end of it, I was like, okay. Um, so I definitely got more out of the Amazo section than I did the Crime Syndicate. I was glad yeah, they were gone. Because <laughs> towards the end, the Amazo stuff was definitely the heart. And yeah. while, while I'm on the heart, I do love that like they show um, Green Lantern dancing with Hawkgirl at the Iris and Barry's wedding. Now, again... Is there any comics precedent for them being together? Or is that just from the animated universe? No, not. I don't think I've question. ever seen them together in the comics. I could be wrong, 
but I always thought that was definitely from the animated universe. I mean, obviously we know they were together in the uh, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, but mm-hmm. but I definitely appreciated that. And yeah, I like I said earlier with the whole character changing thing. I know it's probably blasphemous, especially from like two people that weren't crazy about the changes they made in Hush um, to the character of Hush and Riddler and all that. Like, I just think the changes in this work, I, I really, I did appreciate, you know, making Pariah a relevant character to someone we know and someone that they're going to touch on for story reasons. Mm-hmm. So I, Supergirl as Harbinger, I think is is whatever. I think there's going to be more to that because at the end we come to the fact that the Legion is gone. That's the big twist is whatever they did to save everybody caused basically a branch timeline where the future doesn't exist anymore that she knew. Yeah, that's it. So right at the end, and this is this is the main point I wanted to ask you about because you have, you have more in-depth knowledge of crisis than I do. Um, so, and I cannot remember. So in the book, did we have this moment where everybody starts disappearing and after they've stopped the, the antimatter wall? From what I remember in the book, they don't stop the antimatter wall this early. See, it just destroys was- a bunch of earths. Like they don't ever stop the antimatter wall. If I remember correctly. The Earths well, just keep getting destroyed. And I, I hate this. I hate that this is where my mind went. But when the people on the satellite start, you know, disappearing into dust, um, yeah. the first thing that came to my mind is, I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. <laughs> it's just, funny how we all go back to Infinity War. Like, that was the only movie that ever did that people disappearing in dust. It's funny. I was just watching the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1992 or 93, whatever the hell that was. They disappear in dust in that movie just the same way as Infinity War. <laughs> like, it's been doing for a long time. So, like, it's just funny how we always go right to that. And it done so much in movies where, like, people just turn to dust when they disappear like that. Um yeah, I guess it's just like one key moment where it yeah. starts happening all over the place. It just yeah. it, that is the first thing that popped into my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe maybe it's because that's, you know, because it was done so well in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like. But no, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember anything like that in the book other than okay. Barry disappearing when he's going back to warn Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, a la. BVS is what that was honoring um right in BVS but he literally is disappearing in um in crisis that's how like the first issue of it's either the first or second issue I'm pretty sure it's the first issue um where that's happening where Barry's trying to warn people of what's going on and Bruce has that image and Bruce is trying to figure out what the heck is going on and a lot sure. of that but yeah from what I remember the earth do die in crisis that's the whole point is it goes down to one earth but in the beginning like, i don't remember them ever stopping I, I, it's been so long i don't even remember what the point of the towers was in the book i guess it was to stop the antimatter wave but even coming further than that excuse me i i didn't really realize that till today they don't even realize this is the anti-monitor the monitor thinks this is like a non a natural occurrence. A yeah. natural occurrence. He doesn't believe it's an actual, um, you know, self-aware being that is doing this, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. Like, why hide that? But again, I, we don't see the anti-monitor in the books for a while, too. 
Um, well, I I, I thought I there was tease him. I thought there was a good tease there though, because because when the walk when the wave starts to speed up, mm-hmm. that's that conversation between Batman yes. and the Monitor. You yeah, know, how's this possible? Yeah, how's this possible? Because Monitor thinks it's a natural occurrence. So mm-hmm. I think that was a good tease for we're going to meet the the anti Monitor either yeah. in you know I'm I'd assume in part two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, what did you th- what did you think of of the cliff cliffhanger ending? Aside from the comparisons to Infinity War or whatever, uh, what did you think of the? Did it intrigue you for what's going forward? Um, because up until that point, you're almost like, okay, we've got a. I mean, if you take all that out, like with with it's a Barry complete dis- ending. Yeah, with Barry disappearing and then the other people starting to disappear, you've almost got a complete film there. Yeah, and which is even weirder to say for us that like we can't judge this movie until we get a part two and three because this does technically have like a conclusion and then a cliffhanger past mm-hmm. it. So it's it's not totally without a beginning, middle, and end, but we know they're planting so many seeds going forward that we want to see how they pay off. And... I also think, and this might be crazy, but I I was expecting them all to die. I was not expecting that antimatter wave to not do anything. And I thought it'd be pretty ballsy to just kill them all off because in the book, you see these worlds die. And that's honestly what I expected. I really expected to see our heroes die and I wanted to know where they would go after that if most of the characters that we've come to know really were dead now or vanished well, the, whatever you want yeah because i mean you see worlds destroyed but the only one with any association you have is the crime syndicate world yes we don't see any of the worlds that we know destroyed um we see the legion destroyed that's it but that's not an earth that's a future mm-hmm. so that's not an earth being destroyed from the antimatter wave that's something completely different that they've created now by stopping the antimatter wave and if you know anything about crisis, the antimatter wave can't be stopped necessarily this early because that kind of defeats the purpose of the antimonitor. So I don't know where they're going now. Which is a good thing, though. Yes, um, absolutely. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. So maybe going forward, it's not going to be all about stopping the antimatter wave. It's going to be stopping the antimonitor, which, again, the book does that, too. The, I mean, that's you know, the death of Supergirl and all that is when they go to confront the anti-monitor and, and do all that. Kind of a similar approach to what the Arrowverse did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because at a certain point, I mean, it really this is the first episode or two when you when you had the, the worlds disappearing mm-hmm. or, you know, being destroyed. And then then it was more character focused on the characters yes. that we know. So, yeah. Yeah, I want to say in the books, like every issue started with like seeing a new world die. Mm. Um, and you would see like Pariah be there and see the world die. And again, I, I've only read it like three times over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever it's been. Um, but I'm, I am very curious. And I, it was an odd choice to me to see the antimatter wave cross everybody because I, it made you think they were dead. Yeah. But then it just didn't do anything when it crossed. So that was, that was odd. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't say I dislike this movie because I'm very curious of what's, what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And 
I can't say I love this movie because I don't know where it's going either, but I just don't understand the the vitriol being spewed at this movie constantly online right now, where people are saying it's like one of the worst you know, animated films and they're not even looking forward to the, what's coming and they, they didn't some people had trouble finishing it and I don't know. I maybe it is because we're not super connected to the comic. And I, I know I'm kind of repeating myself over and over again with that, but I just I don't see, see I, anything in this that is that terrible. And I guess I just haven't paid much attention because I haven't seen all of this, which mm-hmm. better off for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So um, but let's let's go ahead and wrap it up there, Joe, because I think we've we've said all we can say without mm-hmm. talking in circles. So mm-hmm. um final thoughts though, not absolutely final, because we're gonna get through the next two parts this year, and then we'll kind of give an overall a capper to the whole thing once we've got all three films. But just this one, part one, give me some final thoughts on crisis. I mean, I've pretty much said what I needed to say. I I like the movie. Um, I enjoyed the time I spent with it. I am really looking forward to where it's going because I think it is doing its own thing, which I appreciate. I appreciated the changes it made. None of the changes it made bothered me in the least. I think they were for the better. Um, and going forward, as far as the, the full story of the antimatter wave and the antimonitor, there's a lot that they can do with that. And, that's the stuff that really intrigues me. Um, but it's also hard because until I get part two, I don't think I'm going to revisit this. Like it's not something that I have any desire to revisit until I know where it's going. And who knows what I'm going to feel after watching part two, I might feel the same way and say, Hey, I got to wait for part three. Like I, (laughs) I need to know the whole story here before I can judge it. Um, but I do recommend watching it. And listen, if you're not dying to watch it, wait till part two comes out. So at least you have a little bit more of the story if you want. But I think if you hated this, I mean, what would make you even try to watch part two? I don't know. I I think who knows? There's a lot. You have no idea where this movie's going. That could really, even if you're not into this, the stuff that could come with the other animated universes could buy you in. You know, so mm-hmm. it, it's hard. It really is hard to judge this knowing that it's part one of three, not just part one of two, because mm-hmm. there's so much that they can do now and to to kind of get people in or, or maybe piss more people off with depending on what they do. <laughs> but I, I just think it's going to be fun. And whatever they do doesn't ruin anything we had before. And it's just if you don't like it, you don't right. like it. And it doesn't have to even count, you know. But I, I really, my favorite takeaway from this is that they're making the end of the apocalypse war a factor. I love that because I, I love that they're, they're creating a, um, repercussions for the the decision they made to mm-hmm. basically end that universe, um, in a literal sense in the you know, creator's room and in a you know story sense in the movie. So I, I that's my favorite part. And I, I think that's worth checking out just to see how they tie that in together. Yeah. And having not put that together until you mentioned it, I mean, I, I agree with that. That's fascinating to me. Um, but kind of to cap it off for me, I was so thrilled that this one was one that I jumped into with a lot of hesitation and actually came out enjoying. I think it's a 
I think it's a good fun time with a DC animated film, which is, which is good to have again. Um, I didn't love it, but again, I really liked it and that, and that's not bad. Um, so what excites me the most is putting the entire story together and knowing that we get, cause we're not going to get many films in the DC or Marvel or comic book films in the theater this year. Um, so knowing we have, you know, a three part story in a world that we love coming and there's lots of, there's lots of potential for surprises and things like that. I do think it was a good way to kick off this three part event. So I'm excited for where it's going. Um, and I, I'm like you, I don't think I'll revisit this one again until part two is ready to come. Um, not because I didn't enjoy it, but I just don't think, you know, there's, there's a lot of need cause I'm going to want to see the rest. So, um, yeah, looking forward to part two and part three, but this was a, a big improvement for me for the tomorrow verse from the last several films we've had. All right, Joe, well, we'll wrap it up there on crisis part one. Um, but we're not quite ready to leave you guys yet. We do have an email, so we'll go ahead and get into that. And this is from our buddy, Lee Anchorit. And Lee says uh, that the subject is low-budget success. He says, hi, guys. Hope you're well. With the excellent reception and reviews of Godzilla Minus One, somehow produced on a meager budget of 10 to 15 million, do you think it is possible for any kind of comic book movie to be as well-received in the modern blockbuster era if made on a similar budget? Do you think that there are lessons that can be learned and brought into the superhero world? If you were in charge and given a $15 million budget to make some form of live-action media, what would you do? How would you spend that money? Cheers, Lee. Lee, this is a really good question. Uh, I was I sent this one over to Joe just as soon as I got it. First of all, I'm just excited that you gave me an excuse to talk about Godzilla minus one. Um, but second, it's just really great questions. So, Joe, um, what do you think? Do you think this can translate uh, a ten to fifteen million dollar budget into superhero movies? Do you or and do you think there are lessons that can be learned from the superhero world? Yes and yes. Um, first of all, yeah, Lee. Thanks for the question, and we both loved Godzilla minus one. So, yeah, so an good. excuse to an excuse to talk about that. But first of all, the general audience does not know how much money these movies cost. We know how much Godzilla minus one cost. We still can't believe how little it costs. Um, yeah. First, yeah, like there's no reason that you can't do this with a with a superhero movie you don't need to spend i mean some of the most successful superhero franchises are the the netflix marvel shows and they can't be very expensive they're they're character developing and their their action but they're not you know huge cgi heavy and whatever but i mean when you look at something like godzilla minus one it's amazing what they were able to do cgi wise with that budget and Listen, if I was in charge, one, I would not be a director. I'd be the producer and I'd hire the guy that did Godzilla Minus One and I'd say, go make a superhero movie with this money and make it last because that guy should get all the, the praise in the world for doing that. I mean, I would love to say, you know, you got to make it small and you got to make it, you know, character driven and use as little as CGI as possible and lo low action. You watch Godzilla minus one and there is not a lack of CGI. There is not a lack of action. Yes, it is a character driven movie, but it does not feel small in the least. So 
if people are able to do that with that budget, there's no excuse as to why a superhero movie can't be made on a smaller budget. And plus, you don't even have to go 15 million. Some of these movies are 200 million. Cut it down to 60 million. Like you can you can do all sorts of different stories that way too. It'd be an excuse to be a little bit more um you know ambitious like in and try different things instead of just doing the same old bigger and bigger and bigger try something different and make it work and it doesn't have to be this huge success if it's only 10 15 million dollar budget so i think it would it would create more interesting storytelling if they were forced to do stuff like that i mean it's crazy that we live in a world where 90 million is considered a low budget superhero movie so at this point yeah i i would embrace it fully because I think it needs to be done because movies are not making as much as they were at the height of this. And I just, yeah, I, I, my, my, you know, long winded answer to say, yeah, hire the guy that did Godzilla minus one and, and give him that money, give him a little more and, and, and see what he can do with it. Because yeah, Godzilla minus one was money well spent for sure. I, I still can't get over that budget. And he said it was even less than what the reported budget is, which is even more amazing. So I, when he said that I took it as, Oh, he must've used more money. I didn't believe Eric when Eric told me that actually, when I think the budget was reported at 15, right, Eric, that was originally the reported budget. Correct, and he yeah. said, I wish it was 15. And I thought he meant it as he, um, he was given um, or like, I thought the producers were saying they wish it was that because it was actually more. And I would have believed that, but no, it was less, which is just crazy. So really, really good question, Lee. Um, it was fine. <laughs> uh, so first of all, I was stunned by what they were able to do with the budget they had for Godzilla minus one. That movie is my favorite movie of 2023. I thought it was phenomenal. And the effects that they that they did in the film looked great. And the thing is, they used it sparingly enough that they didn't have to have um, you know, a $200 million budget, which they wouldn't have given them anyway because Toho doesn't work that way. Um, I think there are lessons to be learned. The only thing, and Joe, you can comment on this and and offer your opinion. I don't know if it's possible to do uh, a superhero movie in America at this cost. Uh, because I, a lot of it is that the CGI companies, first of all, they're way too high in demand. They're overworked. Um, they don't have time to do it. And we see that over and over again on the screen sometimes. Uh -huh. um, so the prices go up because of the demand. So that's one of the problems I, I see because there's not a lot of movies coming out of Japan that are effects driven as much as like a Godzilla minus one. So they don't have the demand with the cost. So it, I don't. I, I think there's lessons to be learned, and I definitely think all these studios should be looking at these budgets and cutting them. I just don't know if it's possible to get one at this budget. And yeah, that's where like you know more about this stuff than I do because you're right. Like when you think about it logically, and I'm just thinking about like, oh, you you should be able to do that. Um, 
but you're right. We have rom-coms that are made for like 40, 50 million. Mm-hmm. So that's where logistically there's got to be something to that argument you just made where it's, it's an America versus Japan thing. Um, also our actors cost more money. Um, I'm assuming, right? Like that's, I'm sure. Um, especially you want to get a big time actor. You want to get a big time director. They, they deserve to be paid. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. Um, I don't know how it works in Japan as far as the budget goes and how like that's, that's the stuff where I'm, I'm very ignorant to, I, I know nothing about that stuff. So that's where I'm kind of at. Okay. Maybe we can't get it for 15 mil, but I think you could put out a superhero movie for 65, 70 and be fine. That's where I hope you, you can come away from this and kind of the happy medium. Cause if you remember right, like birds of prey was supposed to be the low budget superhero movie. I think it still was budgeted at 90 million. So, yeah, and then and the problem you look at for me is that you look at the films that are costing 150, 200 million plus today, and then you compare it with a Jurassic Park that was shot in, it it came out in 1993 on a 63 million dollar budget, and none of the stuff today looks as good as those dinosaurs. Hmm. So that that's I think that's what bothers me, and of course with inflation that budget for Jurassic Park would have been over a hundred, but it would have been like 120 something with inflation, which is still compared to today's blockbusters. That's a pretty manageable, you know, that's a pretty reasonable budget for a blockbuster. So yeah, I, I definitely think I would love for studios to learn lessons. I, I just don't know what those would be. Um, well, and then so oh, just for, for, I'm sorry, just for argument's sake, cause I was trying to look it up just for my own benefit. Cause I really don't know the answer. So like anyone but you is the newest rom-com that came out in America. And it's actually been very successful at the box office for a rom-com an R-rated rom-com. I have not seen the movie. I'm assuming there's not much CGI in that movie. Um, if any, $25 million budget. <laughs> so it's just apples to oranges to compare it to the Japanese yeah. film industry, I guess. I, I don't have another explanation for it other than that. And you brought that up. That's a good point by you because the ignorance of me saying, and, you know, how can you compare the two? I mean, how how do you make a movie like Godzilla Minus One for less than 15 million? We can't even do rom-coms for less than 25, apparently. Exactly. So yeah. it's it's tough. And I, I that's where I think you, you might not have to go to 15 million. Like, just... Keep it under a hundred. It's I I don't see that being an issue. I mean, what was Joker? What did Joker cost when it first came? It was under a hundred. Oh, it was well it under was low. It was like fifty or sixty, right? Joker. First let's Joker. See. I'm sure they got a bigger budget for the second one because that's what they do. So but... Joker was fifty five to seventy million, somewhere in yeah. that range. Okay. Um, but again, you know. You can do it. You can find a way to at least cut down on the budgets. And I yeah. think I think DC learned that higher um, horror uh, directors, they get the most out of their budgets, it seems. Efficiency. Um, between, and yeah. Now, there's a lesson to learn. You know, choose your directors wisely because the, the crazy thing about Godzilla Minus One is the director of the film, he's a VFX specialist. Mm-hmm. So right there, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but there's lessons you can learn. But getting to Lee's second question here, if you were in charge and given a $15 million budget to make some form of live action media, what would you do and how would you spend the money, Joe? Um, 
I can tell <laughs> you in Holly in Hollywood, I'd go broke. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I I would not know what to do. I I really wouldn't. I mean, honestly, if it were me, I think you know choices with the movie aside i think the batman is the way to go i know they're like their budget inflated because of covid and stuff but a street level um blockbuster i think is the way to go if you're trying to do a lower budget keep it you know film on um you know on location film uh you know put everything on camera i mean look at oppenheimer had a pretty low budget so like you're making these big blockbusters as long as you're keeping you know you have to keep that budget in mind when you're planning it and again i'm not i'm not i don't know enough about it to have that much of an opinion on what i would do but i think you have to start smaller and and create something that is character driven create something that is you know a little bit more intimate try to do it you know with the maybe the smaller characters first, like everyone always, and I'm not even crazy about this character to begin with. Like, I don't know enough about him, but everyone keeps um, saying they want a question movie. I think that's where you go with these lower budget films is take one of those characters. Maybe don't hire a huge actor. That's going to inflate the budget either. Just hope you can make a movie that, you know, can entice people and, and keep that budget low and, and come up with a good script and a good story before you worry about, the the size of the film and and hope that you know don't don't rely on just the dc name or the marvel name to sell your film rely on a trailer rely on a story that's going to grip people and i think that's that's the only thing you could really do at this point and and just try to plan accordingly like what is james gunn keep saying is we don't start filming until the script is done that's a probably probably a good idea <laughs> and it should have <laughs> yeah. been the idea all along <laughs> exactly um, Lee, my answer to this question is I take that 15 million based on everything we've talked about. I'm going to Japan to make my movie. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go make my Nightwing movie in Japan. <laughs> there you go. Get, um, the, the Deathstroke rumors with, um, is it Gareth, Gareth Ennis or the, I mean, the, the raid director. There's your example right there is like, it seemed sure. like they were looking into stuff like that at one point. Because that's another movie that, you know, was a huge action movie made in Japan. Um, I think it was made in Japan and uh, low budget. And it was a huge success. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I uh, don't know. Me and Joe I, I skim the surface of knowledge on this stuff, but not super in depth. So I hope that was that was a reasonable uh, banter there for you for that question. But I did enjoy mm -hmm. the question because you gave us an excuse to talk about Godzilla. And I, I'll so, correct myself. So it was Gareth Evans and it was an Indonesian action thriller. So, okay. Gotcha. I don't, like I said, I don't know enough about this stuff, but I don't want to be incorrect either. And, and, uh, be spreading false information, but that, that only had a $1.1 $1 .1 million budget. Jeez. <laughs> like, could you imagine? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Lee. And, and I think that's a, that's a good place to stop the episode. Um, so Joe, this, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it was good to talk about a tomorrow verse movie that we actually enjoyed again. Uh, so thank you for joining me. And, uh, if, if there's anything you want to plug, where can everybody find you out there on social media? Um, you guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as jforn 11 And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarotto, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. And yeah, this was this was fun to talk about this. Uh, it's been a 
it's been a good run. I've had a couple of fun episodes, and we really um, not a lot of new stuff to talk about coming up. So hopefully, we'll get some fun, uh, you know, anniversary things out, or try to come up with some fun ideas in the next couple months, and, and get some more uh, get some more content. Always fun to talk on here. So thank you again. Absolutely, and yeah, guys, shoot us ideas. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, let us know. Uh, but as for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, X, and Threads and Letterboxd at me Carter eighty nine. That's M E Carter eighty nine. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, X, and Threads at TFR Bat Pod. If you'd like to support the show, the best and easiest way to do that is to leave us a rating and review. Um, if you do live, leave those written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. We also read your emails, so send those to tfrbatpod at gmail.com. If you're looking for another way to support us, and we don't ask that you spend any money on this show, but if you'd like to, you can go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word, and find our awesome logos created by Justin Kowalski on all kinds of merchandise there. Our theme song was composed by Gorov Venikeswar, and his music can be found on gvtunes.com. Make sure you go to the link in the description of this podcast and go over to Organic Priced Books. Use our promo codes there, buy yourself some books, enjoy some reading, and support this show in the process. But thank you guys so much for joining us. We can't wait to talk to you again soon. But until then, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with DC Comics, DC Studios, or Warner Brothers Discovery. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not reflect the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Most of you are aware that you live in a reality that runs parallel to many possible versions of your universe. Some time ago, my people became conscious of this. Display the wave. Yes, monitor. A massive antimatter wave so vast and destructive it decimates everything in its path. Entire realities have been erased from existence. I've gathered you all together and hope that we can find some way to stop this disaster and save your worlds. <laughs>